0: Recording in progress. How you doing, Kelson? Hey, I'm doing great. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. It's so interesting seeing you back uh, in the States. Now I'm seeing you virtually, but uh, dude, I keep seeing you in different mediums, different ways.
1: Yeah, I don't think we're too far away, right? You're in Virginia now?
0: Yep, yep, that's right. Both on the East Coast. Where are you exactly?
1: State College, Pennsylvania. State so, college. That's right. I'll be heading back to uh, Washington State probably for the summer.
0: Nice man. Do Do you already have like planned hikes and stuff you want to do?
1: Yeah, actually, in July, I'm going for Mount Rainier. So nice, uh,
0: nice, that's dude. That's
1: the big, like, exciting thing coming up for the summer.
0: Dude, Washington State's gorgeous, man. I uh, for for a while now, my favorite national park was Arches in Utah. And then I did North Cascades and it was it instantly changed it. Cause it was, I think it was blueberry bushes that are just red. And so like the whole side of the mountain was just like red. And then you have like super bright, like yellow flowers and then the blue sky. And then like, the, it was crazy. It looked like a dream.
1: Oh yeah. Washington. We have so many, I mean the Olympic mountain range, the cascade mountains, the, the beaches there up on the Olympics too. It's, a fantastic place
0: yeah man i want to get into how we met each other which is a really funny story but uh, first now we're on the topic of it you are a mountaineer and when we met you had just done the peru andes right or is that did i get the time yeah i
1: think when did we meet was it september
0: we met in september yep
1: okay so yeah i spent the summer um i just decided very last minute to go on a trip down to South America. So I spent uh, a few weeks in Colombia and I thought I'll spend a few weeks in Peru as well, which ended up stretching into a few months um, because I just loved it so much there. Um, I started off in late, late June and this went through August. I climbed like three mountains there in the, the Cordillera Blanca. So yeah. the, the first one was Pisco, and then I had an attempt on Huascaran, which is the highest one. Uh, and mm-hmm. then a week later, I did Yanapakcha. Uh-huh. So, Man. I mean, when I first saw these mountains, I was blown away because, I mean, we have really beautiful mountains in Washington too, but there's nothing, you know, over 6,000 meters high, over 20,000 feet. It's They're like giants.
0: Yeah, dude, they are like giants. They're absolutely insane. (laughs) They're crazy. Have you, is that your first time like doing mountaineering was in Washington State or have you done it abroad before? so
1: I started, I started getting into mountain. I mean, always growing up, I was doing camping, hiking, whatever, but just low-key stuff. And then uh, I started going with a few of my buddies in high school. I think it was my sophomore year. So when I was like 15, we just started going out, you know, in the old beat up van. And we'd go to like, we started with Mount St. Helens, uh, went and climbed that. Uh, and then in just this one season, we went to Rainier, hiked up to Camp Mir, uh, went and climbed uh, Mount Adams. And then the next year, went and did Mount Hood. So that's what. <laughs> That's
0: what got it all started. Beautiful, man. Yeah. Being intentional. Nature loving. It's its great. Um, when I first met you, it was at that hostel in Malaga. And uh, we were both checked into that. What was it? Like a 12th person
1: room <laughs> or something.
0: Yeah, with yeah. The bunk beds and stuff it was fun. And I, I'm just like sitting there. I just got there. I'd been like adjusting all my stuff. And I hear someone speaking Spanish with two girl voices like responding to him and i'm like who is this giga chad what's going on over here <laughs> and um and i'm hearing you talk about this uh this trip and in, in peru and i'm like whoa who is this guy this is sick and there you were man and you were wearing a, a peru like soccer jersey and i was like this guy's awesome <laughs>
1: oh,
0: well yeah i mean and then
1: i ended up i didn't think this would happen but i ended up flying straight from peru to spain because i had the i i ended up studying in, in madrid uh last fall and so i just ended up like the time cut so short so i ended up just needing to fly directly there so all i had was you know my backpack with me and so most of the stuff that i ended up having like clothes wise were just souvenirs or whatever i picked up along the way
0: wait that's funny so you You had this um, law program this semester of doing law at Penn State, already planned out to be in Spain. And since you had extended your trip to Peru, you were like, you know what? I already have my laptop and stuff. Let me just just punch it through. Yeah, exactly. That's an insane person acting. (laughs) That's amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it ended up being a great, great experience. And I got to be abroad for, like, I guess over half of the
0: last year yeah that's awesome that's fantastic that and then um that was in malaga in south of spain yeah and uh yeah dude actually you you were talking about how you taught yourself to speak spanish How, how would that happen
1: yeah i mean i guess my friends taught me i basically just we have so many great students here from all over the world law students um And especially last year, like from Colombia, from Panama, from all over. So I just started like hanging out with these guys and just ended up picking up a lot of it. And then, of course, from traveling, uh, I have to speak it uh, every day. You know, like when I first arrived into the airport in Bogota, the guy was like, do you speak Spanish? I'm like, yeah, I do. But my English is better. He's like, "Okay, then we're just." we're going to speak in Spanish. And so from then on, it was just mostly Spanish every day for the next uh, seven months or so.
0: Fantastic, man. I want to go more into that um, whole exposure, that mindset you had to just like feel comfortable just switching over. But um, dude, I kind of want to touch into that law program because I like what was really funny. So we had met in Malaga in South of Spain. And then a few weeks later, I'm in Madrid, and then I find out you're in Madrid too, because that's where your program was, right? Right. And you're like, "Hey, man, we have this party on like Gran Villa and this like um, balcony thing. One of one of the guys' apartments is here." And I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool. I'll meet up with you." And I go into the building, and there these group of girls, like, in, like they're also lost as I was lost, because we couldn't find our way up to the rooftop. And I was like, "Yeah, I got my friend here. I'm I'm gonna ask him how to get there." And so, like, I like send you a voice memo on WhatsApp, and I'm like, "Hey, Kelson, man, like, I th- I'm in the right building, I think, but there's no access." And then these girls go, "Kelson, you know, Kelson, that's our friend too. Like, what the heck? Small world." So, dude, you're so well connected. And then that program in particular it really like highlighted how connected, how small Madrid really is. Uh, the guys in your program were so cool. Walter actually was from DC right. too. Yeah. Um, Walter Mohammed, whose apartment that was, and then Martin. Martin is actually from um the same place I'm from in Spain, like in Gijón, which is really cool. And so like all the people in your program are so cool. (laughs) I mean that's
1: that's what part of what made Madrid so special. You have so many really top tier people like from all over the world, and they're all kind of merge into this one place.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool, and you know what? It, they're all studying. They're all in the same program, right? I guess they were doing a semester yeah, too, or some of them. At
1: that party, a lot of us were from the same program, but there were also people from several other universities and
0: everything. Yeah, because Mohammed was French, right? Yeah, yeah. So, is is the degree everyone was getting like uh, to practice law internationally, or what? So, um.
1: This is actually something I kind of wish I could have been able to do, but since I could only go for one semester abroad, I wasn't able to. But uh, a lot of the same students in my program stayed for the entire year. So they got a good deal because they ended up graduating with their J.D., you know, which is like your American law degree, and they got an L.L.M. at the same time. So I think that's fantastic. Uh, It doesn't allow you to practice law in Spain, though, what I mean.
0: Okay. What what's like, an LLM? A good
1: thing have. It's a it's like a master's in law. So typically, you'll get one when you want to practice in another country.
0: Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah I saw a picture of uh, what was her name? Katie, and she she had mm-hmm. graduated. Is that the LLM? Because she had like a gown or something. Yeah, I think so. Okay, cool. And then, so now you're about to graduate from your program in Penn State, and you're going to do the bar, right?
1: Yeah. On Saturday? Yeah, I'm taking the bar uh, in July.
0: Hell yeah, man. Exciting I finished my last
1: exam last Friday, so now I'm just like, it's such a weird feeling, because it's the first time uh, since law school started, really, where I'm just like sitting here like, what do I do? I don't yeah. like urgently have something that needs to be turned in or that I need to read or whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: The moment so, you...
1: honestly, I don't like it. I'm ready for uh <laughs> but it'll yeah, I expect... yeah, I'll have to start setting pretty intense for the bar soon. So
0: Yeah. Especially someone like you who's like a mountaineer and stuff, like you like action, you like being in the weeds, right? The waiting is probably a bit uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, it's I mean it's just weird. It's something yeah. that I'm not used to. So
0: Yeah so with the bar exam like as soon as you pass it what happens like what are the rights you get
1: well you have to pass uh so you just pass the exam and then they also do like a pretty thorough background check on you you know Uh like list everything about you if you ever got any kind of traffic ticket whatever so then you pass that um sometimes you might have to do an interview i think like New York always has an interview and then you swear in and become, and you're able to practice law in that jurisdiction.
0: Gotcha. So with your degree, everyone who graduates uh, from Penn state and takes the bar, they can take the bar from any state wherever.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, like you would think that going to law school, because states have such different laws that it would, Kind of prepare you to take it in that state but that's really not the case i mean you just end up doing it wherever you want to and sort of studying for the bar a lot i mean a lot of it is what you learned in law school but a lot of it is like new stuff too so i mean i'm gonna be like learning secured transactions wills trusts the states for the first time over the next couple months so
0: Oh man, heavy. It's basically, stuff. like
1: a big law trivia, you know, you have to generally know something about all the major areas of the law.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's like a blanket knowledge of first. Yeah. Is So, um, so I, with the bar, it's like the general bar, and then you can like get more specific state, like separate bar exams, or?
1: Yeah, well, every state has their own, but now actually. There's uh, like a universal bar exam, so you can mm. uh, more easily wave into other states without having to take another test.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And then you said you're going to do JAG, right? Which is uh, what, yeah. what? Which is the character from uh, a few Good Men, right? The Tom Cruise character. Right. Yeah. So, what got yeah, you so into I'm, that?
1: I'm going into. Uh, well, the Marines actually contacted me and. So I started looking into it and it seems like a great fit. I mean, my favorite field of law that I studied was international law, uh, Mm -hmm. national security law. So that's what I'm really gonna be able to dive deep into in the next few years. I mean, I'm gonna get a chance to do a little bit of everything and get a lot of experience right off the bat. Um, And what appealed to me, especially about the Marines is that, we get to go through the same training as all of the other officers. I think JAG for some of the other branches might be more insulated just with the other lawyers, but we're going to be doing the same officer candidate school as everyone else and then the basic school, which is bas- like a basic infantry uh, yeah. officer school. So we're going to be going through that along with everyone else and then doing the more uh, lawyer-specific training after that. So that was just hugely appealing
0: to me dude that's so cool so you're gonna do ocs yeah
1: yeah so i'm starting that in september
0: oh that's exciting yeah man that's that's awesome i know uh army ocs is in um is in georgia a lot of my good friends like graduated college did did ocs but uh where, where's the ocs for uh the marines
1: it's in quantico and then after that is that's the right. basic school which is also in quantico
0: oh that's everything in quantico okay okay yeah, yeah. gotcha that's exciting man hell yeah
1: yeah i'm super excited
0: Let's and then what what do you what I've is been doing like
1: pull-ups the... like crazy you know running so uh is, i really want the... to get the max score that's my goal
0: what is what is yeah i was gonna ask what are the physical like requirements
1: you have to so if you want to max like the pt test mm-hmm. you have to do the three mile run in 18 minutes 23 pull-ups and a plank the
0: 345 wow okay yeah well that's cool and then on top of that you can like sue the shit out of someone <laughs> the same day yeah yeah who, who so are you mostly going to be like uh like a prosecutor type role or yeah or so what?
1: the first few years i'm going to be doing like working with the military uh justice system so I'll be working as a prosecutor for a couple of years, and then I'll be working on the other side uh, as defense attorney for a couple of years. Okay. And then from there, I could go into uh, more of like the operational law, international law stuff.
0: Gotcha. So I'm just curious, like, what would be, what are some of the most common cases and charges in that world?
1: Well, whenever we do something, uh, overseas there's always going to be legal implications for it you know from like the smallest thing to uh oh can we like blow up that building what are going to be the effects of that to like can we go into this country Mm -hmm. um you know what do we need to have permission from them to have an operation there etc
0: oh okay so that's like with the UN, I guess, like the white helmets are supposed to like do, right? In theory, um,
1: I think they would be involved with some of that too. Yeah.
0: Okay, so like you would like report to like Brussels too, right? Or
1: um, no, I wouldn't be reporting to Brussels.
0: Or like re- representing the states, I guess.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll be working within and representing the Marines.
0: So that's awesome. That's awesome. Cool. And with um when you went into the program, were you like did this were you even like entertaining this? Did you know this route even existed or what what well, did you want to do?
1: I mean I I went into law school to start off with because I wanted to do something totally different because nobody in my family is a lawyer. So I thought, okay, this will be great. I'll be the first lawyer in my family. At yeah. the same time we have a big military tradition in my family so my brother's army uh my parents were both in the army too mm-hmm. and that was sort of always in the back of my mind as well like i want to also continue that tradition and get all the military training work there but uh at the same time do something totally new so i figured out a way to accomplish both of those things
0: dude yeah you did uh, that was special that's exciting. Awesome, dude. So let's let's uh, pivot back towards travel. Um, do you have any particular like travel story from just this past uh, when you were in Spain uh, that you think uh, would be interesting?
1: Uh I mean, I, I got to go to so many great places. I think like going to the Canary Islands uh, oh, for cool. Thanksgiving that was probably my favorite trip i mean it was just it was kind of rainy and cold in madrid by that time and it was just uh-huh. beautiful and sunny like the water was great so that yeah, was dude, like a really a, good time
0: it's like a I, I hear it's like a hawaii it's like volcanic and yeah and beautiful
1: yeah you can see the volcanoes there from uh, the other islands and it's like huge green cliffs shooting out of the water. And every corner of the island, uh, I went to Gran Canaria, and every corner of the island is like, feels like a different, totally different place. I mean, one side of it is like barren desert, the other side is like lush and tropical. And then another side is like just volcanic rocks and
0: huge waves crashing against them wow yeah that's that's exactly like a big island where like kona is like the dry side and like Hilo's like the rainy like nice side yeah. yeah yeah yeah. that's cool that's cool and also like so much are talking about mountains and stuff that's where the tallest mountain of all of spain is is in the canaries
1: right yeah
0: yeah did That'd you go up
1: really it Cool. no i didn't do that i think you have to like i looked into it you have to get a permit like some months in advance so. ah
0: whatever yeah <laughs> That's fun, but uh, so what kind of like case studies did you guys like study in the in the? Because like during the time you guys were in law school, like there was a whole Russia thing. Did you guys like go into that, like study that stuff?
1: Um. Well, I did a class like a national security law simulations class, mm-hmm. and uh, we looked into a lot of like hypothetical situations that kind of actually mirror what's going on in the real world and nice. how we would respond to that you know in like national security council meetings with the president um congressional hearings all kinds of simulations like that so that was i mean that was the highlight of law school that was the best class i was in
0: so. oh that's cool did you like write bluff statements and all that
1: what what kind of statements?
0: uh Bottom line up front, like BLUF. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Like the, the writing was different in that class because it was very concise. It was like just one page, straight to the point.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: because a lot of times your clients are going to be generals and they're not really mm-hmm. interested in reading like a 20 page legal treatise. They just want so, like a clear and concise explanation of, you
0: know, can I do this? Exactly, dude. That's why I love the military culture, too. Um, like, I, all my best friends uh, did OCS, and they're in that world. And uh, I actually was talking to an Army guy. I went to Virginia Tech, so there's, like, cadets in our, in our college. And I went to, like, a recruiter and everything. Like, I was really, like, looking to do OCS. I actually was going to work with the CIA. Right. Um, I did a class and all that. And, dude, I did a class at the CIA, and, the, yeah, we did bluff statements. And one of the funny things, like, Trump was president during this time. And so one of the things that uh, my, my professor, who was in the CIA, told us was, like, yeah, man, Trump is the best. Trump is hilarious. One of the things he did, <laughs> his people know him. So you have to adjust your whole, like, process to, like, accommodate the president, make sure he absorbs things. Yeah. They would pepper in his name in the report just to make sure he reads it. <laughs>
1: Pretty smart. Genius, yeah, I think the- it's it's really and, and I just read a book that was fantastic, "Call uh, Sign Chaos," and it's General cool. Mattis's book. And I mean, he he was in such high level positions for so many decades, working under you know so many different presidents, totally different yeah. temperaments. So it's really mad dog.
0: Yeah, mad dog yeah, mad mad the- That's cool. I wonder, like, I don't know much about his backstory. I know that it was like somewhat of like a big deal that Trump got him um, out of retirement, right? Because isn't it yeah, like when you retire, you can't come a back. a rule.
1: Yeah, you have to wait. I think like seven years or something.
0: But mm-hmm.
1: he got a waiver from the Senate. You know, everyone loved him. So
0: that's amazing. Yeah, man. Rules are rules are there to like keep things in line. But like, if if you really want something, if the country wants something
1: yeah and that's one of the things you learn in law school as well Is there's always exceptions and exceptions a lot of times swallow the rule
0: that's funny yeah that's is there like a name for that because uh i don't know maybe
1: there's maybe there is i'm not sure
0: yeah greasing the wheel you know in um in soccer in the soccer world like cristiano ronaldo went to live in um, saudi arabia to play for his new team and he's not married with his current like girl and in Saudi Arabia, you can't yeah. live with someone you're not married to. So they did was, the same thing. I was seeing
1: that, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because
1: it's Ronaldo. So they'll do yeah. whatever they need to to get him. So.
0: Exactly, exactly. Well, that's cool that, that there's uh, there's always wiggle room, which is cool. Oh, dude, you know what? This has actually been something I was wondering, because um, where I live in Virginia, it's the Commonwealth of Virginia. hmm And I was, I looked into this like years ago and never really followed up, but the other commonwealth states that I know are like Virginia and Massachusetts, I believe, and then some other one.
1: Yeah. Pennsylvania is is too.
0: Oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah. Is it a different law code or what, what is the commonwealth? I'm
1: really not sure what, like if there's any kind of difference. I, I think it's sort of an archaic thing because a lot of the. Older states, maybe, are more likely to be referred to as commonwealths. I, I never learned anything about that though. so Oh, gotcha. I yeah,
0: I thought it was something to do with like it was closer to like the English system. No,
1: because we all we're all working under common law. I think the only state there were they have like this weird combination of common law and civil law, which is like what most of Europe outside of the UK uses, mm-hmm. is Louisiana because they were uh, the French for so long. They, their system developed in a kind of strange way. So how, but what I haven't mean? studied that in depth. So, I mean, civil law is more like, it's more just read the statutes, read the law, and um, that sort of is what it is. Common law is a lot more up to interpretation and, Uh, Like, judicial opinions have a lot more, are weighted a lot heavier.
0: Okay. So, um, and then, so what what would be, like, an example of, like, someone doing something in in New Orleans that, like, wouldn't have the same effect in, like, Texas?
1: Well, I'm not sure if, like, New Orleans would be a good example because they're on this weird (laughs) next system. It's probably more... It's, it's really similar to anything in the rest of the country, but, I mean, compared to, like, somewhere in Europe, like, let's say Spain, it's, um, it's going to be a lot more... I think the lawyers will have a lot more work to do in some ways in the U.S., and there's going to be a lot more interpretation, um, whereas it's going to be, like, easier to decide over there in Europe based on because they have a they have these codes you know like i think a lot of countries are still working off of napoleonic codes and even roman codes and they're like thousands of pages so
0: i know in like the states like you can have someone like it's very like court heavy where like you can like sue anyone for anything really like people yeah
1: the u.s is the most like plaintiff friendly place in the world yeah yeah. So, for better or for worse.
0: so is that probably why? Because like we don't have these like long-standing codes. Yeah, that like could do. be
1: why. And I think having a jury system really helps with that too. Um, mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I think the jury system is great. It offers a lot of protections that just having cases decided by judges don't allow. Um, but yeah. yeah, I think juries will a lot of times be more sympathetic. To, for its plaintiffs. And
0: Do they have like a 12-person jury system in, in Spain?
1: I'm not sure. I think if they have any kind of juries, it would be like the exception rather than the norm.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and when and I then, was
1: in Spain, I wasn't so much studying like Spanish law, but we were actually studying uh, European Union law
0: overall. Yeah.
1: And that's, that's a really interesting whole other uh, level of complexity too because i think it sort of parallels our federalist system mm. but there's a lot of other complications too because every every state in europe has a level of sovereignty you know that just like a state within the us wouldn't have dude and there's so exactly. many huge cultural differences as well too it's actually amazing that they've made it work as well as they have
0: dude i know man and i um I think we may have like uh shared some political views on this it's like i centralized anything gives me like pause and particularly in a place like europe it is very shocking that it's worked so far because culturally they're so different and like historically they're like very bellicose they fight over nonsense and very like very bad yeah. but um yeah man i think one of the dangers i see of like centralized power like this is that it really gives people in power an excuse because they can't be tried by like a jury their peers whatever any law code whatever by like constantly having like a one world government or one like centralized thing you're kind of like really pushing yourself out into the periphery i think i don't know um what are your views on that
1: yeah i think uh I and mean- One of the reasons probably the EU system has worked is because they have a pretty good level of representation from each of the states, you know, with their parliament system, which is uh, their most powerful branch. But yeah, Mm -hmm. then there's other systems, too, where it's more like uh, unelected experts, bureaucrats. So there's a lot of that as well. But I'd, I'd say the strength comes from keeping the parliament, the most powerful branch. I mean, just like having Congress be the most powerful branch in the U.S., which yeah. maybe it is. But
0: yeah. So when when people hear about like certain leaders um, arresting or like putting a pos- or implementing rather like martial law, what does what does that mean in like layman's terms?
1: That would be like putting the society under military law um, Mm -hmm. and having kind of uh, just a more militarized system and more like a lot of times when there's a state of emergency or countries at war, they'll put that into place. So think like soldiers patrolling down the streets, generals in charge.
0: So like your right to like go down the street at like 10 p.m. would be like, no longer if they had like a curfew yeah, like
1: curfews and all that, yeah, yeah.
0: And how is that? Um, like I totally understand, I know national security is like really important and everything, but um, how I'm just curious, like legally, how is that? Is there like room for that? Is did they leave flexibility for that in the constitution?
1: Um, I don't think that's something we would be seeing in, in the US, I think there's a lot of uh, powers that can be taken on during emergencies, but you wouldn't see it to the level of like and where we'd see it in other parts of the world.
0: Gotcha. Uh, I know that in um, what's it called during the civil war, Abe Lincoln, didn't he do something similar? Like something with habeas corpus?
1: Oh yeah. He suspended that. Yeah. That was pretty um, drastic, <laughs> but that was the civil war. I mean, that's we right, haven't yeah. had we haven't had one of those uh since then.
0: In a minute. Hopefully we so, won't
1: have one again. But
0: yeah. What does habeas corpus do?
1: That's um that's the right to to kind of contest your detention. I think mm-hmm. in Latin it means like in roughly give me the body or something. Mm-hmm. Because like your body's been wrongfully taken by the government. Yeah. So there were a lot of um Claims with that like involving uh people who were detained like in guantanamo bay and that raises a lot of other issues too
0: yeah yeah it's, it's a bit scary because like historically when uh when the citizenry gives uh government some power that it didn't never had before they never give it back so it's kind of
1: yeah that's that's usually how it happens
0: kind of spooky
1: <laughs> yeah
0: well yeah man and um dude it's interesting how there's new countries arising too I, I like uh what was the most recent one wasn't it south sudan or something like 2015 2014 um and then they have to decide new law codes different rules to to follow and like generally speaking uh, you'll have like an empire type like expansion like a country's going to gobble up its neighbors and then the fracturing like everything fractures. So right now I think uh everything's like fracturing. You will have more and more countries and it's just going to be really interesting to see what they adopt because you can either go like down the US approved democracy type uh route or you can you know Which lean really more towards hard,
1: really hard mm-hmm. to set up and implement especially if that that's not something you know where that country has been operating under for the last hundreds or thousands of years it is possible but it takes decades of work and involvement which people aren't really interested in
0: yeah state building's tough
1: yeah because i mean it happened successfully in like germany and japan and uh, south korea but that was over you know so many decades it's not going to happen. Like everyone expected it to happen almost overnight in Iraq, but that's not oh how it's going to work.
0: Yeah, dude, that was a mess. That was a mess, dude. I I uh, remember reading this and it, it shocked me. It's kind of funny, but like, imagine if someone did that to us when we beat Japan in World Two and in Germany, we wrote it that they were not allowed to have a standing army anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, that that's insane (laughs) yeah yeah like imagine if we were to like go into battle with someone and like we lose and they're like all right no more u.s army no more like anything we'd be like dude that's like the one thing a country needs
1: (laughs) oh for sure but it's um the thing that makes a country dangerous too Mm
0: -hmm. exactly citizens Do, do you have any other like uh travels planned
1: um At the moment, no, but I mean, my dream is to go to Argentina and I want to go to Patagonia and and I also want to go up north and climb uh, Akandawa, go check out Mendoza
0: too. Dude, nice man. Yeah, exciting. And then eventually,
1: I mean, my long-term ultimate dream is to go over to Nepal and go climbing in the,
0: the Himalayas. Dude, if you go do Everest, let me know. I'll do Everest with you. Sure, let's do it. Yeah. Have you found anyone who's down? Because I I've really struggled to find anyone who's down to do Everest. Um, I haven't really been asking
1: around. I think <laughs> it just mostly it just costs a lot of money. So.
0: Yeah, and it it's, takes a uh, lot of time. Yeah. I know. Like, uh, I saw some pictures, kind of spooky. Everyone's wearing their REI, like super bright, like colors, yeah. and. What do they call it? Like the rainbow graveyard yeah, or something? summit suits. Yeah.
1: So for me, it doesn't have to be Everest, but anything over 8,000 meters, anything that's going to get you into the death zone, that's
0: that's where I'd like to be. That's where we're pushing, dude. Dude, I, yeah. 100%. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so hopefully in the
1: next few years, you know, if I get to a point in my career where I've got, you know, enough money and I can take the time off i'll definitely be going over there and doing that
0: 100 percent. do you know how big the groups should be or we probably go with strangers right
1: um i don't know exactly the groups would be pretty big like those kind of expedition style climbs take a lot of mm-hmm. people i mean you'd have a lot of sherpas a lot of porters and then yeah. however many clients and it's different It's a different kind of climbing too. All the climbing I've ever done has been like alpine style where Mm -hmm. you just go on a rope team and you're totally self-sufficient and kind of your aim is just efficiency and speed. Mm -hmm. Um, But on those climbs, it's a lot. You're carrying a lot more stuff, you know, big tents. And a lot of times the lines will be fixed. So it's a different climbing style too where you're like ascending up and down the line. Um, rather than just being on a rope team with a couple other people.
0: Oh my gosh, dude! Yeah, do you know how long it usually takes? Like a like two weeks? Yeah, almost? I
1: think I think it's like a month or so. Oof. because it you have to go up and down between the camps, and you have to do it, you know, several rotations, so that you can get your body uh, acclimated. I think wow. one of the problems for me when I attempted Huascaran was we went up like very quickly mm. and it's like above twenty thousand feet. I think it's somewhere between forty and fifty percent of the oxygen we have here. So <laughs> you need to take two breaths for every one breath. I mean, it was a really it was a really difficult, I mean, just walking up there. So you have to let your body gradually get used to that.
0: That's crazy. So how have you been training, like here in somewhat sea level, to do more? I of mean, stuff?
1: just just running—that's mm-hmm. a big thing. Uh, I'm gonna start doing more hiking too, uh, with like a weighted backpack. Yeah, um, but I mean, just anything to train your cardio is gonna be the most important. I mean, I've been doing a lot of gym stuff too, but that's not really that important, honestly. Yeah, I mean, for was, the yeah. mountains, the cardio is the most important thing. And you, right. you just have to have endurance to go all day long.
0: Yeah. What are they, like 10-hour days, right? Or something like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, usually you're going to start your summit day uh, or any day up on a high glacier really, really early in the morning because it's safe since uh you don't want to be going up late in the morning because as the sun comes up it starts melting the ice and huge like seracs will start coming off there will be ice fall oh, um nice. and like the ice bridges and everything are a lot more sturdy early in the morning so you're always going to start really early you know have a quick bowl of oatmeal drink mm-hmm. some coffee and then turn on your headlamp and head up and then hopefully get to the summit right in time for sunrise. That's always, I mean, the best feeling in the world.
0: Yeah, dude. I feel like if I get up there, I don't want to come back down. You know, you probably have to sleep there, right? Like, because, yeah, the sun's already up at that point.
1: Uh, just go down. Quick, you know? I mean, safely, but quick, quickly. Quick, quick, quick. Just
0: tuck your chin and roll.
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes you can flissade uh, or slide down. But that's, you know, if it's a, that's if it's not, true. if there's no crevasses or anything like that, obviously.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. I saw this crazy video of this uh, cross country skier. He was just skiing. And by luck, he like noticed something strange off in the mm-hmm. distance. And it was some guy who was like head deep, like his head first. Like he had Oh, I saw an that. And he something.
1: pulls him out, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. He pulls him out. He's he like, yeah, you okay? was was really yeah that was in washington
1: yeah no way sure
0: yeah yeah they're speaking like american english yeah the what was really like telling was the guy who got pulled out of the snow was so calm he was like yeah man take your time it's cool it's cool and like what that tells me is that he had like accepted his fate which is kind of sad
1: yeah well i think you also just have to be calm in those situations um yeah that's kind of yeah, that's whenever you're in a crisis situation, you have to be calm because if you freak out, yeah. you know, get all emotional, you're gonna waste a lot of energy. And
0: oh, 100%. It's yeah, be much
1: harder to survive. So it might have even just been like a survival instinct.
0: The stoicism. Yeah. No, but yeah. I like I expected him to like be elated or something when he found someone there. Like when someone oh, found yeah. him. Yeah. But he was yeah. like super, super stoic. Take your time. Yeah, I don't bro. know. Maybe
1: he was just chill, you know, because he was a snowboarder.
0: Maybe he's chill like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. Well, dude, I really appreciate the time. Um, I think uh, I think we're we're not done crashing into each other in in the world or in the states. Yeah, so hopefully, we'll definitely.
1: We'll meet up in Virginia or wherever sometime.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, is just like an hour from here. Yeah. Sweet man. Well appreciate it, Kelson. A lot of fun.
1: Yeah, great talking to you again. Yeah. Great
0: talking to you, bro. Take it All easy, right, man. man.
1: That was fun. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Appreciate Thanks it, man. Of
0: course. Peace.